Pat, uh, Pat, are you sure this shortcut is a good idea? I, I don't see this road on the map. Kay looked somewhat bewildered uh, as she said that to me across the console. But I was, I was incandescent with confidence. Honey, I'm way, way out in front of you. And then the town disappeared. And the, the houses began to get further and further from the road. Then they disappeared altogether. Uh, all vestiges of commerce were erased. And the road got narrower and narrower, and it turned to dirt. And then, well, it went smack dab into the side of a wooded mountain. I had come to a dead end. Now, I know that none of the rest of you women have ever had this harrowing experience. But it's been fairly common in the gay hand household, so you can commiserate with Kay. You know, what makes it worse is that I was the one trying to get home from her parents' home to, to uh, an important uh, meeting uh, with the vice president of the university. Needless to say, meeting did not happen. Unhappy vice president. Oh, well. If only, if only I had not taken the shortcut, listened to Kay, paid attention to the map, and just taken the long way around, which was really the shortest way to get there. And because of that, I feel a certain kinship with, with the Apostle Peter. You know, if you set this scripture that I just read in context, it is really, uh, really confrontational uh, to all of us who think we have everything neatly uh, put together. You know, at first, Pete is the golden boy. Uh, Jesus addresses all the disciples gathered around, and he says, he says you know what? What does the man on the street say about me? You know, who are people saying I am? And uh, boy, the disciples are all over the map and not in a good place. But finally, Pete stands up and said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, boy, Pete, boy." You know, you didn't get this from man. God told you this. And so, you know, Pete's feeling pretty, pretty tight right there at that point with Jesus. So when Jesus next says, when we get to Jerusalem, when we get there, the authorities are going to arrest me, and they're going to kill me. And in three days, I'll rise again. Well, at this point, Pete's feeling, you know, feel, is filled with, with temerity, and he takes Jesus aside, not usually a good idea, by the way, but he takes Jesus aside and said, no, boss, this is not the way it's going to be. This is not going to be the way it rolls out. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a shortcut to what we want to do. And Jesus says, get behind me, devil, because now you're speaking, you're speaking on man's terms, not on God's. He went from sheep to goat pretty fast, I'd say, <laughs> as I have done in my own household on numerous occasions. You know, we like the idea of shortcuts, but they won't take us where we want to go. Not in our life with Christ. Uh, the only person taking shortcuts in the Bible is the devil. Okay? That's the only one. If you'll remember, when he gets with Jesus early on, he says, hey, turn these stones into bread. 
throw yourself off the top of the, of the temple and let angels kind of catch you right before you go splat. And boy, your number of followers on Instagram will just, you know, will just, will just, um, will just multiply. Um, or just kneel down right now and worship me and I'll give you the things you want without all this muss and fuss you're thinking about. The devil's all about shortcuts, but they won't work for you and me. No, the Lord takes us the long way around. And if you pay attention to what Jesus says, he's not only putting Pete in his place, he's giving him and us instruction. The only way to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to get behind him. We can't be way, way out in front of him. The only position for us is behind him, following him. And when we do that, our life in Christ will be magnified. What do I mean? If we will dispense with the shortcuts, take the long way around and get where we're supposed to be behind Jesus, we will begin to see Jesus for who he really is. Now, most of us carry around this idea that, you know, Jesus is, uh, he, he's, a, he's this great teacher, and I can kind of pull out some of his one-liners from time to time when I need them. Or we think Jesus is a great miracle worker, and when, you know, when my octane's low and things are going kind of down the tubes, I just throw up a prayer and he'll go, you know, zippo, and everything will be fine. But Jesus is not teacher primarily, or miracle worker primarily. He is Savior. And Lord knows we need one. You know, reading uh, in, the, in the daily readings of the Episcopal Church, which I do early in the morning, you can too. It's at the back of the prayer book. Um, and all the scriptures I'll use today come just from the readings this week. But uh, if you'll remember, in um, the second chapter of John, uh, Jesus and his mother are invited to a wedding feast in a little Galilean town called Cana. And the young peasant couple run out of wine. And, uh, you know, being the good Jewish mother, Mary comes up to Jesus and says, Son, son, they don't have any wine. And uh, he says, Woman, what does that have to do with you and me? He says, My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And, of course, being like, well, now she sounds like a southern mother. Do whatever he tells you. You know, in other words, Junior will do it, I tell him. And, of course, what ends up happening is that they have, you know, about 300 gallons of Chateau Lafitte uh, at this peasant, we you know, peasant wedding. But if you'll notice, if you read the scripture carefully, as I did this week, I, was, I realized that Jesus is never singled out in that instance for any notoriety. His time had not come yet. Jesus' time is Calvary. That's where he's headed. Don't ever forget that. He's on the way to the cross. That's his time. That's our time when he shows us who he really is. And who is he? Jesus is the one who demonstrably shows us the unfathomable love that God has for you and me. That's why he's Savior. He's not shaman. He's Savior. And when we get behind him, We'll begin to see that. Secondly, when we dispense with the shortcuts and get behind Jesus where we belong, we'll begin to see ourselves as we really are. You know, it's interesting to me. Um, we, uh, we, we seem to have a very high opinion of ourselves, but we really don't. I mean, a lot of our indulgences are sort of like anesthesia. As 
because we're not really confident about who we really are. And so we keep on trying to pad ourselves and fill ourselves with stuff we don't need and buy things we, we don't really want and spend our days not really doing what fulfills us. That's not a sign of health, that's a sign of sickness. But if we pay attention to the scripture and get behind Jesus, we'll see who we really are. In the second chapter of Hebrews, um, uh, this scripture which had eluded me until this week reads like this. Since then, uh, the one, Jesus Christ, who saves us, uh, has, uh, no, excuse me, since the one, Jesus Christ, who saves, and the ones he saves, that's you and me, have the same origin, Jesus does not hesitate to call us brothers and sisters. Since the one, Jesus Christ, who saves, and the ones he saves, that's you and me, have the same origin, he does not hesitate to call you and me his brothers and sisters. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Now, Hebrews is the longest sustained argument in the entire Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. And this is what he, what's building in this magnificent, uh, really, sermon uh, that is the book of Hebrews. And now think about it. We're, we're accustomed to saying we're made in the image of God. I think that's Genesis 1.27. It rolls off the tongue pretty easily. But we don't really know what that means until we come, until we get behind Jesus and realize that our whole life is to be spent becoming like Jesus. We are his brother and sister, brothers and sisters. And so our whole life is a life of formation that we become like him. That's how special we are. That is awesome. That's awesome. And no amount of spa days will take you there. Only getting behind Christ will take us there. And as we grow, we will see, oh, my goodness, there's so much more to me than I thought. I'm made in the image of God to be, made, to be refashioned, to be transformed, to be like Jesus Christ. Now, we'll never be Jesus Christ, but we'll become more and more like him if we get behind Christ and quit taking shortcuts. Finally, if we take our rightful place behind the Lord and take the long way around, we'll begin to see the church for what it is. We'll see the church for what is this, us. <laughs> you know, so many of us, uh, no matter how often we've, we've, uh, we have uh, said something other, we continue to think of the church as an institution. This is, uh, or a building. But this is the church, all of us gathered underneath these trees. This is the church. This hit me again, in, uh, I think it's, what is it, the uh, second chapter of John. Right after the wedding at Cana of Galilee, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Only in John does he go to Jerusalem early in his ministry. And he gets there and he sees people selling doves and sheep and all sorts of, you know, calves and stuff outside of the temple. And they're selling, you know, they're changing out money. And he overturns the tables and he drives the, the, the merchants out. Now this causes a big, big, you know, uh, 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 you know, disruption in Jerusalem. And so the authorities come to him and say, well, who gives you the authority to do this? And Jesus says something very curious. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. 
Well, look, folks, the temple had just been finished. Herod the Great had just finished this magnificent temple. It was twice as big as Solomon's temple. Twice as big. No expense was spared. As, you know, the half-Idumean Herod the Great wanted to kind of make his, his place amongst the Jewish people. And Jesus says, destroy it. I'll rebuild it in three days. Of course, he's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about when I'm raised up, I'm going to create a people of which I am the head and they are the body. The church, the church is you and me. It's flesh and blood. It's underneath these trees. And to begin to think the building is the church is nothing but sheer idolatry. It can't be the church. It's a wonderful place to me. I love it. I wish I was in there right now. But guess what? I'm out here with you. Because this is where the church is. Here. And if you want the revelation of God to come to you, if you want God to speak to you, the main place God speaks is in the company of His people. That's the main place He speaks. I spend a lot of time in private prayer. I spend a lot of time in Bible reading in order to be faithful. To try to figure out who I am under God. But where I receive most of my revelation is right here. Why do you think I said I read the scriptures assigned to all Episcopalians every day? Because the body all over the world is reading the same thing. God speaking. Speaks here. And let me just put this out for you. Those who are moaning and groaning about, you know, being out here or whatever. Okay? Do you really think during the Neronian and the Domitian persecutions in Rome, do you really think the church that had been meeting in these homes, sharing bread and wine and olives and grapes, singing songs and, and, and experiencing the presence of Christ and the comfort of their abodes. Do you really think they were giddy and happy when they had to go down to the burial grounds beneath the city in the catacombs? Oh boy, let's go underground and let's go pray. But they did. Do you know that in all the decades of the Soviet Union, Christianity could never be wiped out. Why? Because grandmothers, babushkas, were continuing to hold worship amongst their grandchildren every single day because they took care of it. The church will not be, be constrained by buildings or anything else. This is the church. Praise God for that. Well, I promised you that I was going to announce something important. And um, I want to preface it by saying, I know, because I know about myself, we get kind of stuck in our own orbit, don't we? The senior warden, Dr. Andy Anderson, says, says that, you know, we get stuck in this orbit. He said, so we need to achieve escape velocity. Now, I grew up in the days of Buzz Aldrin and Alan Shepard and John Glenn, and you were always hoping, will that rocket get outside our atmosphere? Remember those days? You know, will it make it? And lately that's been reignited in me as the Mars Ranger traveled 138 million miles to Mars in seven months and has landed there. Oh, goodness gracious, science is unreal, okay? But it had to escape, it had to achieve escape velocity first, right? To get outside the atmosphere. And maybe you and I need to achieve some escape velocity to begin to find out what God would have us do as we get behind him. And so, led by Karen Vonderbrugge, our Director of uh, Vocational Discernment and Pastoral Care, and, and Justin Lindstrom, 
our associate rector for community formation. They have devised a wonderful program for us in April and May. We are going to achieve escape, escape velocity. And on, on sequential Sundays, we will have both a clergy witness and a layperson's witness as we begin to show the community what we're doing in world missions and invite you into it, what we're doing in, in, in our city outreach and invite, and invite you into it, what we're doing in worship and invite you to have a place in that, and, and in pastoral care and invite you into that place. The reason it is so important is that we learn discipleship not just up here like an egghead. We learn discipleship by doing this. Walking behind Jesus. Where we belong. And there are no shortcuts. Thank goodness.